Welcome to Classic and Curious, a podcast dedicated to exploring today's classic styled life. I'm your host, Ann Kikoski, and each month I'll be sharing conversations with some of my favorite personalities in travel, entertaining, fashion, and decor. We will explore how they elevate their everyday with timeless classics, reimagined with a modern sensibility. So grab a cup of coffee or glass of wine, whatever suits your fancy. We hope to inspire you, make you laugh a little, and look forward to every engagement. Hello, classic and curious listeners. Today, we welcome Andrea Vecchio, author, TED speaker, Emmy-nominated journalist, interviewer, and producer. Andrea has traveled the world interviewing many of Hollywood elites, such as George Clooney, Tom Hanks, Jane Fonda, Meryl Streep, Denzel Washington, the list goes on. Her love for film led her to become a film critic and member of the Broadcast Film Critics Association. After 20 years in television broadcasting, Andrea published her first book, Live Your Playlist. She now travels the country as a keynote speaker, balancing her time with Pisces Rising Media, her production company, who helps businesses build their brands in today's digital landscape. Cheers to Andrea. Let's chat. Hello to all the listeners, and what a lucky day it is for me. I have the pleasure of having phenomenal company. And how do you even start a podcast when you're sitting in front of an Emmy-nominated interviewer, producer professional that has such a phenomenal background that you heard in the intro? But there's a reason for all of this. There is a reason we're together. Both Andrea and I share the same hometown, the same affinity for Cleveland, Ohio. And if you're going to take a leap in your life and try something new, I do believe you have to have a piece of home with you. And lucky for me, I met Andrea a little bit over five months ago. And ironically, we went to the same high school together, which was fabulous. And from that, we just decided this felt right. I'm trusting her to open Pandora's box today and ask me questions so that you, the listeners, can get to know a little bit about who's this woman behind Classic and Curious and what is she all about. So I'm going to turn this over to Andrea. And once again, thank you for being with me today. And I am so excited to be doing this. And Pandora's box is going to go wide open. <laughs> if you think about it, I just, I feel like paths cross for a reason. And five months ago, you were sitting in an interview chair, which is how I met you. And so I think it's only right that we dig in a little bit deeper into who you are and all that you do and just the beauty and the classic and curious part of your style. So I'm honored that you're having me on your podcast. I love everything that you're doing and I love the conversations that we have. So why don't we get into it? <laughs> I wonder for you, have you always had an eye for design and fashion from an early age? What's really funny is as a little girl, I loved to watch movies. I simply adored them. And it, I think I was five years old or six years old. And I remember my mom telling me this story. And of course, this movie was done probably before I was born or maybe right around the time I was born. But it was Dr. Zhivago and Julie Christie. 
And she had that amazing fur hat on. And I remember telling my mom once, Mom, I want that hat. I'm going to wear that hat. That was just so amazing to me. And then I would fall in love with Ali McGraw and Love Story. And she had these shearling boots. And then it was the great Gatsby. And believe mm-hmm. it or not, I kind of loved the pink suit that Robert Redford wore. For me, the movies brought to life what I wanted to be. And it was all around design. It was all around background. Like, put me in front of a Nancy Myers movie. I will put it on slow motion to look at every detail that's behind the actors. Like, it's complicated. I've been known. My family, my daughter will take the remote from me because I will rewind that movie and look in the kitchen and say, I really want to get that plate. And, and my daughter will be like, we're watching a movie and you're focusing on a plate. <laughs> I think for me, the movies really did it for me from the time I was young till now. Then that's just innate in you for you to be drawn to that. Like you mentioned The Great Gatsby. That's my favorite book of all time. And The Great Gatsby has been made multiple times. So there was really, while it is a classic novel and one of the great classics, the movies have had an evolution. And I think style can too. I mean, did your style also have an evolution or have you stayed pretty tried and true to what your classic initial style was. Hmm. It's funny because when I think of the word style, I think of two things, right? I think of personal style and then there's this fashion style, home style, decor style. I'm going to take you down two lanes on this because it's hard for me to answer that. Because I think when our style evolves, we are evolving alongside it as a person. And I think for me, There was a little saying that my mom gave us when we were little, and she said, pretty is as pretty does. And there were times that I commanded the red carpet. I did exactly what she said. And there was times in my life that I needed to get kicked off the show. And I think you are constantly evolving your style personally, and alongside that goes your wardrobe. I think for me, style is ever-evolving. I think these days for me, I'm wearing a little less makeup and being a little bit more true to my authentic self. Now, how does that relate to my fashion style? I think it's evolved, but I've always been true to who I am. I've always been that girl in high school with the wool sweater, with the crew neck, with the monogram. And maybe that looks a little different today. It could be a cardigan or it could be something a little different. But I've always been the kind of person that has had a collection of classics in my closet, like a range of denim, a black sweater, shirling, a little bit of camel, white wovens done to the nines. I mean, there was an era of me that I was so into Anne Fontaine, you could not even imagine how many ruffled white woven tops I have. And I think now you still see that same Anne when you open the closet, but it may not be as loud. It may just be a little bit softer. And I'm adding a little bit more pink in there just to kind of keep it real. But I think my style has evolved as I have evolved, but it's true to who I am at the core. 
Well, you really, when it comes to fashion, I mean, you were ruling the world during your time with Gap Brands and with Banana Republic, which I feel like everything you just mentioned, like, of course you came from that world because they were a leader in the industry when it came to those classics. So when you were, I mean, in essence, running the show there, I know you were in Chicago for a long time and then headed to San Francisco as the head of North American operations for Banana, which by the way, I remember Banana when it was Safari. Oh my God, so true. I wanted to be Meryl Streep. It was like out of Africa came to life in the Banana Republic store. I was so proud to be with that brand. So during that time, What did you learn about style and fashion, not only from the company itself, but from some of the really legendary people that you got to work with? Wow. How can you even summarize what you've learned in 20 years? A lot of my retail career has defined a part of who I am today. But if I think about your question around style and fashion, I would have to say, I was lucky enough to be part of the Mickey Drexler era. Although I was with Gap Kids and Baby Gap during that time, I actually happened to open the second Baby Gap store in the country and became a stakeholder on building that brand. To have a Mickey visit was just incredible. He had such a keen eye for fashion. He would look at how a seam was stitched, a color orientation, He would look at the button and even say, is that the right button? His hand feel, he would tell us if the fabric was right. I mean, he just understood that details made a difference. And he was a merchant at heart, yet he was a visionary. And I can remember sitting in conferences, listening to him and thinking to myself, gosh, to have those instincts, to have that gut sensibility, it was just incredible. And what I didn't realize at the time was I was witnessing retail genius. And that was really, I mean, to be part of that was memorable. I think what I learned from merchants in general, and I had exposure to so many talented merchants, and especially when I was in my corporate role, it was just incredible to hear or to watch how they would build a collection and define its intention and how it related to a season and how it connected to a fashion landscape. We would sit in meetings and I would hear about their trips to Europe and they would tell us about looks that inspired them, garments that they wanted to replicate. It really drove a love for me to start to watch couture shows, fashion shows. I mean, I would start to download or find what was Tom Ford's latest show? What was Chanel's show? Like that I still do today. I mean, I just love to watch the season ahead on YouTube. It just, it's never left me. And I think moreover, if I were to say one thing that I got from working alongside these merchants was this acute attention to detail and not just how it showed up in fashion, but really how it showed up in other parts of my life. If I hosted an event, you should see how I would put together all of the small things that kind of added up to a charity event that I might have been hosting, or how I wrap a gift. And it's just this inherent part of me now that 
Even in the design business, I create storyboards and every single element is on that board with intention. It may have its own point of view, but it certainly connects to the broader story. And that storytelling and that intention and that attention to detail is absolutely what I took from all of the people I worked with. But I I would be remiss if I didn't mention this. I think the client was another tremendous influence on my fashion and style sensibility. I had front row seats to phenomenal campaigns, such as Individuals of Style, Who Wore Khakis. With BR, it was Mad Men, and then later on with the limited, the Scandal Olivia Pope campaign. The client was a tremendous influencer on how that point of view could be interpreted. And I was lucky. I mean, I must have connected with probably over 100,000 clients in my lifetime in retail. And as much as I was trying to help them build a look, there were many of them that I was learning on how a look could be put together from their own sense of style and their own sensibility. And as I mentioned before, my time with Mickey was memorable. But I have to say, the client as the influencer, that was magical. That's interesting that you say that, especially because the word influencer is everywhere today, right? Like It's become more than a buzzword. It's become a profession for many people. So when you say that, that's interesting to me because I know as a consumer what I would see, the celebrity faces, the face of the campaign. But what you're saying is, the influencer was behind that campaign. So like in what way or what would an example of that have been? I think what I'm trying to say is the influencers behind a campaign, it was never singular. It was multifaceted. Of course, there was uh, the creative genius behind the campaign that thought of the messaging, that thought of the concept, uh, that thought of, you know, who were going to be the icons to bring that energy to the campaign and bring it to life. And then the icons themselves, they absolutely got credit. They were the attraction. They were the conduit of the idea to the consumer. And they illustrated the concept of what that campaign was intended to be. And then that's where the client and that's where the employee showed up. After the campaign was launched, it was the interpretation of how the employee or the client would illustrate that look. It was contagious and it would ripple. And so when I think about influencers in a campaign and who are behind them, it's all three of those levels. And You know, one of the things that comes to mind as I think about sharing this with you is the Missy Elliott Madonna campaign. It was, I mean, fantastic. It was the Get Into the Groove campaign. I think Trey Laird was the creative director at that time. Don't quote me on that. But that campaign brought to life two musical icons illustrating how to wear denim. I think it might have been cords, but again, can't remember the specific garment. And it was so cool. I mean, Madonna looked fabulous. She had this tank on with the pants. And I remember looking at her necklace going, oh my gosh, I wonder how much that was. 
And then you had Missy Elliott, who actually had her pant embellished with her initial M on it. And I remember how that took off. I had a fellow employee come up to me and say, look what I did to my denim. They did the same thing Missy did. They had their initial put on their back pocket. And you know what? I went out and did the same thing. I found out where they had it done. I went and had my pants done. And it was just the cool factor. And I think even one of the stores in New York City offered it to some of the clients to have their pants embellished as well. So I think that's a really good illustration of who are the influencers behind the campaign. It's multifaceted. It's the creative director. It's the icon. Absolutely. And then it multiplies through the client or the employee. I think what's important for people to know too, especially I saw this in all the years that I worked fairly close with a lot of people in Hollywood, but not the same way that you did. So I'm interviewing them, but you were there. Let's just say actors and many of them would say this, like they don't necessarily have all of them an innate sense of style. So there is a whole team that is creating that look, that storyline through clothing and through style. So that's what you were there for which is really kind of cool to be able to create that for people. I wish I could have been that person that created it, but I got to sit in the same room with those creative individuals that created it for those people, for any of the people that were in the campaign. But it was a look, and it was a look that was meant to be effortless. And it was a look that really transcended over whomever would have it on, whether it be celebrity or everyday fashion enthusiasts that would walk in our stores. Let me tell you something, just by even being in the room, there's something that happens through osmosis because there's a lot that you were there for that you saw that you observed that's translating really beautifully into all that you're creating today. I mean, when you think of looking back on those who influenced you or even maybe today, who are your style icons of today? I think I first want to start with who influenced me the most, and then I'll jump ahead to my style icons of today. Anybody that knows me knows Coco Chanel. She was my person that I looked at and emulated probably from the time I was 13 years old. I did a whole term paper on her, the other person, but I think I just feel like as part of my essence is Ralph Lauren. And He really, for me, I can still walk in one of his stores and find something. And it's very easy for me to, his denim, from his sweaters, and I just love when he does anything in camel, he does it so well. But I think for me, he was another person that, and ironically, started to fall in love with his design at the time of The Great Gatsby when he was starting to get press. And I was so young when that happened. And I laugh at how I started to follow him. And in fact, in my home, my boys, when I first did their bedroom, it was all Americana. It was the denim sheets. It was the American flags on the wall. It was quintessential Ralph Lauren. So I think he's kind of influenced me from both sides. But they were really my the people I would say that influenced me, but if I look today at icons, I love Amal Clooney. Oh, she is it. She is it. She is the queen. I just think her and Kate Middleton, 
Kate, I started to follow Kate's designer, Amelia Wickstead, and I actually, my dress I wore to my son's wedding was from her, and Kate was really who I copied. And I have no shame saying that. I was kind of like wishing I was Kate. But I think for me, I think Victoria Beckham has a great sense of style. And even as I look at people that are younger than me, but I can still relate to, I think Sophia Ritchie has really captured a little bit of my attention. And I have to say this, and this might be a little bit of a chuckle, but my daughter and my daughter-in-law are kind of like my little icons too. Like my daughter can do mix. She can do pattern better than anybody. Like she can put on a bold top and with denim and really play with a great handbag. And she takes leaps in her fashion sensibility that I probably never would, but I so respect it. And she makes me try. And I think you should never stop exploring with yourself. And then my daughter-in-law, I've never seen anybody wear a pair of mousy jeans with a plain sweater and a loafers, walk out and knock it out of the flipping park. I mean, so I really think icons are around us. They don't have to be famous. They really are right in front of us too. And I think that that's what makes this new world that we're in. It doesn't always have to be looking up to somebody that's on a screen like I did when I was a little girl. It's sometimes myself just walking through Boston commons and saying, oh my God, look at that outfit that lady has on. That is it. Fabulous. And I just love that. Well, I love the range that you spoke about. I mean, the classics, Chanel, Ralph Lauren, they're timeless. Amal Clooney, she's timeless. Kate Middleton, she's timeless. Sophia Ritchie, and then your daughter and daughter-in-law. Like, I think they have an elevated look, certainly, but then you're talking about people who also show you something that could be attainable. So I wonder on that note, as you mentioned, all of these women... What staples do you think every woman should have in her closet? And which items are worth the splurge? And which can you just like make them really look high end? But, you know, wink, wink, you were Sharon Stone and you had on the Gap turtleneck, right? (laughs) Oh my God, Sharon. I mean, Valentino with the $26 tee. I mean, back to when that happened. Oh my gosh, to be at the Gap Dap Day. Uh, Well, when you look like her. Yeah, right. (laughs) So when I think about a closet, and this is probably the classic person coming out of me, but I do think you should have a phenomenal, this is going to play a little bit on my history, but I think you should have a range of denim. I think you should have a range of cuts. I think you should really know what looks best on your body type and don't stay in one lane, but really take denim to a different color, different washes. I think every closet should have that. If you don't have at least six to seven, and that's moderate, pairs of denim, you need to jump out there and try more. I would be remiss if I didn't say a black sweater done in many different ways. I love a boat neck, but a cardigan. Black really is, it is a color and one of my favorites, but I do think having a little black dress on that note is absolutely a must. Love white wovens and done in different ways. But I were to talk a little bit about the unexpected in my closet. I do think there has to be some element of pattern. And you have to find the right pattern that's good for you. And it doesn't necessarily have to be on a top. It can be on a scarf. It can be on a handbag. It can be how you want to wear it. But I do think you have to have pattern. And I do think you have to find that one color. For me, it's that deep green or a soft pink. You have to have those colors that complement you. 
You may not wear them all the time, but they're there. And I think it's important because sometimes your closet plays to your mood that you're in that day. And then I think every woman should have like a little touch of camel, a little suede, a little leather. You really should round out some of those elements that can be mixed. And to your point, a wink, wink, it doesn't have to be real. It can be faux. But at the end of the day, I do think that the closet should have a good range. And I also think that you should continue to look at your closet and say, what am I missing? And what haven't I tried yet? We're never done with who we are. So your closet shouldn't be. And I do think every season you should look in your closet and say, what haven't I tried as of late? And how do I build it in there? My sense is because you are also a woman who loves to travel, that in your travel, you have been able to be inspired by different elements of fashion and different elements of design. So if we kind of transition from talking about fashion into travel, can you recall the very first big trip that had an impact on your wonder and curiosity for style, fashion, architecture, design, that whole umbrella? Yeah, I think I'll say quickly, I would be remiss if I didn't mention New York City and Chicago, because when I first started to travel for work, after a day of work, I would walk the Chicago streets and just look at the architecture, the stone. Here in New York City, I'd love to go in and out of hotels and look at their designs. In fact, I would study new restaurant trends and seek out stopping there just to see what their decor was all about. But I will say my first big trip that really took me over the edge was Paris. And I think that was a game changer for me in terms of architecture, art. You went to the Louvre, I went to Monet's Garden, traveled out to Normandy, stopped at some small Rely Chateau hotel properties, and really saw architecture and the way things were curated, not just by buildings, but by landscapes. And I just, Paris to me, France in general, was just, it changed a lot of my love for wanting to explore more and to be curious, right? What else haven't I seen in Europe that I need to go to? So I think those are some things that trip did for me. And the buckets in terms of like of all the cultures you've experienced, like who do you think gets style the best? Who gets entertaining the best? Who gets design and food and drinks best? I mean, those are a few different buckets, but... Yeah, I think obviously for fashion, I'd have to say Paris. I mean, there's the Couture, Chanel, Givenchy, Dior. I mean, they're really, I think they set the trend for everything else. I think from a design perspective, I love British design. I gravitate to it. I love David Hicks back in the day. He really did a beautiful thing for me and really could show you how to take one color and take the many shades of that color and put it into a room. And I just, I always had an affinity for him. But I do think design, I am drawn to British design. From an entertaining perspective, I'm going to speak to the person that sets the backdrop the best, basically creates the experience. There's nobody that does it better than David Mon in the US. I would give anything to shadow him for an event. I mean, I would work for free. I would carry chairs just to help that man. I watch what he does and how he transcends 
something, a space to make it magical and relatable and relevant to what he's doing. But I guess for food and drinks, Italians get food the best. I do love watching Stanley Tucci searching for Italy, and I leverage much of his cooking. But my go-to for recipes are Ina. Just love her. But from a drink perspective, I have to say, and I would be remiss if I didn't say this, my husband makes the best cocktail. Everybody will say, I'm the grapes, he's the grains. And he has studied, like, I think he's just really would like to be a mixologist, but, and we've been known, we have a special glass for every single drink. I probably have over 400 glasses, no doubt. And it's really about matching off the drink, but my husband does it. I mean, everything is fresh juice. He really is phenomenal at it. And I mean, he even knows what alcohol to use that will complement the drink. Like, He's very particular about what gin goes with what drink, what bourbon should be used for a mint julep. Like he's got it down to a science. So I'm lucky I have that right in my own home. And has he done this because of trial and error and just trying it all out? Or does this come from all of the travel that you've done together and dining or having cocktails at special and unique places and then asking or watching how? I think it's a combination of a lot of things. I think. My husband, like myself, is very curious. And when he started to see my affinity for wine and we would travel, like we went to Blackberry Farm and had this amazing experience there, he would ask the bartender a million questions. And I felt so bad for the poor bartender. And they were willing to give the information? They were willing. I mean, very few. And there are times now he'll go to a bar and if they're not making it right, he'll start to tell me and I'll say, stop. Like, just, 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 you know, like, please, please don't do that. But I think he just naturally had the same curiosity as I did. And we both have a love for culinary experiences. So I think it really took us both to different places in our life of wanting to be good at something. And he's just so good at that. Well, in full transparency to your listeners, the last time you and I spoke, I learned something new about you. As we always learn every time we have a conversation with someone interesting, we learn something new. I learned that you are a sommelier, which I think is so fascinating because first of all, that is not an easy title to be given. There is extensive studying and test taking and that it's not just like, oh, I love wine. So I think I'm going to become a sommelier. No, you, how much time went into that process? Gosh, it took about a year. Now there are different levels. The first one was relatively quick, but my family was still in Ohio. And when I was in Northern California, I spent my weekends studying wine to advance my studies. So I spent my time learning regions, year, producers, climate, taste. And I was participating in classes. And back then, they were still doing face-to-face verbal testing of palate skills. So that was a tremendous advantage. But I'm nowhere near a master. And certainly, that's a very deliberate process. But I was able to get past the first two levels. And I'm sure I'll find myself back in a class someday. I love it. And I still enjoy my Guild Psalm publication. When you're throwing a party then, I mean, what are some of your favorite regions? And do you stick to one region when you're serving wines or do you mix up countries? I mean, what would your advice be to someone who 
wanted to do something maybe a little different. I mean, I think especially here in the States, a lot of people are so familiar with the California wines, which there are some wonderful ones. So, right, there are big names that you can always serve and impress and your company. Although I don't think that a bottle of wine has to be expensive to be really good. But what would be maybe some of your favorite regions or favorite bottles to serve? I do think to answer your first question, I think you should try every country. I mean, that you never know what your taste is going to tell you, right? And everybody's taste or like is different and unique to them. So never say never. I have a big French wine affinity and you put a bottle of Margot in front of me and I get a little selfish and don't want to share. And I've been known to put that in a chili by air, which that's a whole other story for another day. Does it make for a good chili? Yeah, it makes for a hell of a good chili. <laughs> I do like white burgundies, and I'll go by broad categories. I love red burgundies as well. And I think a little bit about when I entertain, I always have an American wine available because I think there's a story there as well. And then I like to throw in maybe a New Zealand or a South African, you know, there's so much to explore. And the one thing I do love to do when I entertain is give my guests something they've never tried before. And I think that when they come, and it could be we're all sitting there in slippers with joggers on, maybe a, a sweater or a jumper, as my grandmother would call it. But I think it's just something they've never tried before. And I really love to infuse that when I entertain. And I'm probably a little picky. I like to pair it too. Like I'm very, I love courses when people come to my house. It's not just one meal, it's a course. And there's a different wine with every course that they have. And I probably do this for me because it's more of my enjoyment. But when I go to somebody else's house, if it's pizza and a salad, I'm just as happy if not even more. Well, see, I think after someone would come to your home for a party, they probably would be nervous to have you over. I think the same thing of you. And we're going to get into your design too, because I would feel the same way. Like your design is so impeccable that people might think. And is that true? Someone who has your elevated style, like when you go into a home, whether it's for a party or to look at their designer, are you eyeing like everything you want to change or are you not really noticing it? You know, what's so funny is I'm sure there's parts of me where I, I look over and go, oh, I would switch that pillow or something. But I don't, I really don't. I think that I'm so happy to have someone hosting me for a change that when I go to their house, I mean, I am just so thrilled to be in conversation and out of my own element. I give my mind a rest on all those other things. I, I really do, because when you do it all day long, it's tiresome and you need to exercise different muscles in that mind. And I don't want to come in and look at somebody else's house. That's the last thing I really want to do. And I really don't care what we're having for dinner. I mean, if it's on paper plates, I'm even happy. Now at my house, I can't deal with paper plates, but like at somebody else's house, I love it. I remember you once told me, yes, paper plates are a pet peeve, but this is when we're talking about you and what the way you're going to do it. So like, what are your, within your home, like your pet peeves for entertaining? Oh, so my pet peeves for home, for my own personal, like what? Yes, we're going to do that so that no one worries that if they you've been to their home before, if they're listening and they think, oh my gosh, I had Anne over and I did that, she probably hated it. We're, we're talking strictly about if somebody comes to you. So 
if somebody comes to my house, well, there will be linen and there will be a play on plates. I love using different shapes, colors, and stacking plates so it's not always as refined. My house would have either white or green flowers. I'd let the food be the color. I like that. And do you believe in having a colorful plate, by the way? I remember my mom always said there has to be some color on the plate. I think since every color is a color, yeah, I think as long as the food complements each other. And then I'm really about a great playlist. I love phenomenal music in the background. I mean, as the night transcends, so does the music. But I think for me and how I entertain, that's what it would feel like. And I would never have it be dressed up either. When you come to my home, I want you to come comfortable. We may look like we fussed on the table, but the friendship is not fussed. So I want it to be as natural and as easy for everybody. Is that a style that you learned from someone else? Or is that just true to the way you always wanted to entertain? That sort of like, come, I'm going to put it together. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to taste amazing. But it's about the conversation in a company. I think it's something I learned from travel. Just like anything, right? You get inspired by places you've been and what you've seen. And I remember having dinner in Paris at Ralph Lauren's and really just how that table was set was impeccable. I went to Blackberry Farm and Match Pewter hosted a party there. And it was the most amazing tablescape I've ever seen. And certainly on Instagram, there's influencers out there all the time setting a beautiful table. But I think how I entertain in general, holistically, like music, it all came from environments of experiences that I had in hotels or fine dining or someone else's home. And you just mix it all together and it becomes you. So you mentioned Ralph Lauren's tablescape or when you went to Blackberry Farms and the table there. What is something that we can do in our own homes that might steal an idea? I'm sure it's the whole look, but what's something we might be able to borrow, even though we may never dine at Ralph Lauren's table? I think one of the things that I really loved, and you can find these, is I loved how water was served in a beautiful pitcher or your bottled water like an aquapana or a pellegrino was served on a like a beautiful plate, like a coaster for a water bottle. I think every household can do that. And I think water just doesn't have to come from the tap or it doesn't have to be a water bottle. It can really be beautifully presented and in the most inexpensive way. And I think that's just a wonderful way to elevate a table that I quite honestly stole from experiences that I had. And I just think that's an easy everyday share. You had mentioned earlier that you love going to Ina Garden's recipes, which I agree with you. I think they're fail-proof. It's one of those like, when I don't know how to make something or I need inspiration, I will often go to her too. So I feel like There are certain elements about you that remind me so much of her, especially in just presentation and just like, I feel like if I was at your home, I would be eating with my eyes first. (laughs) So in your home, in your kitchen, what are five items that you always have stocked? I feel like that would also be like an Ina question. What I always have is fresh fruit, the sun's wonderful cheese, 
I always try to keep good cheese fleur de sol, and I always pronounce it wrong. But I do think that just adds an element to either your fruit or your cheese when you're serving it that salt just brings to life. And that's a beautiful finishing salt. Great olive oil, I think. And great olive oil doesn't mean $70. There are olive oils that you can get at the grocery store that may range around 20 but it's just a beautiful special occasion. And I'm trying to think of what else. I always have wine in my home. And I know that's not really stocked in your kitchen. Maybe mine kind of is. Oh my gosh. Well, like you said, you can put it in chili. You put it in your sauce. <laughs> you Trust me, that was a day that I didn't have my reading glasses on and I thought it said Merlot and it said Margot and there it went right in the chili. And actually it was the best darn chili I ever made. I do think it's important to have like those things in the, everybody always says, well, why do you have these on hand? And it's like, if somebody were to stop by, think about it, a little bit of fresh fruit, a little bit of cheese and Obviously, always have savory crackers on hand and a little bit of salt just to delight them and olive oil. And I just always have those staples around. There's something else I have a feeling you always have on hand. I have to say this about you. You are an excellent gift giver. It is like to get a gift from you is like this is going to be special and unique and something different and something I haven't had before. So as somebody who throws parties and as someone who goes to parties, what are some of your favorite hostess gift ideas? Because I think often there are many of us, like there are certain go-tos, but there's something about what you choose. Like I love getting, there was a box of chocolates you gave me and it was the most beautiful box. It looked so expensive. The chocolates were amazing. My husband and I, well, I'll I'll be honest, the first box I ate by myself. I didn't even share. <laughs> I didn't even share. That's all I intended to do. Yes. But then I bought another box because I thought, well, my husband should try these. And we just had so much fun with that box of chocolates that you inspired me to get because you gifted it. So what are some of your favorite hostess gift ideas? I think for me, it's really about paying attention to who your host is because you may love it. My husband said something to me, are you buying them something because you love it? And you really have to stay honed in on who they are. And sometimes that's hard to do. But I do love giving like a coffee table book and writing a message inside. I love hostess gifts or host gifts, however we want to say it, that transcend. So after the party's over, they can enjoy it. I do think if they love to cook, I love buying pinch bowls. So funny, like this holiday, we're going to do a whole host gift site on my website this holiday. And it's all of my favorites and pinch bowls are on there. And someone goes, pinch bowls? Like the person that was helping me do the marketing. And I said, yes, pinch bowls, because you can put pinch bowls on a cheese tray. Nobody thinks about that. And they just bring to life a flavor profile that people don't think about. So I love that. I love little spreaders, but beautiful spreaders, not like a little cowhide spreader, something that's different. Again, that's going to stay with them so they can say, this person gave it to me during this party and I use it all the time. And I think it's always lovely to give flowers and chocolates and candles. And those are always good go-tos and never fail gifts. So I'd be remiss not to say that. But don't let it be from a local chocolate place. Find a chocolatier that you can ship in. And I think it's okay to leave a card and say, 
I had such a great time at your party. Stay tuned to your mail on Monday. And the chocolate arrives two days later. Because you know what? Sometimes the surprise and delight is a gift within itself. And my gosh, if all else fails, giving someone a hug is priceless. So at the end of the day, a handwritten note with nothing, with nothing even, is just a beautiful way to express gratitude. I received that once. And I'll never forget that. I was so tired after throwing a charity event at my house. And someone just wrote me a handwritten note. It was awesome. I think that handwritten notes have become a lost art. And they are a true art. And they are truly a gift from the heart and mind and soul. So I love that you said that. Just coming from me as a writer, I love that you said that. I'm sure you've attended some really fabulous parties in your lifetime. Who was one of the best hosts or hosts that you ever experienced? And what was it about that party that really stood out to you? So I've had beautiful parties that I've attended, whether it would be in my neighborhood or elsewhere. But I think there are two that really became memorable for me. One is at one point I was working with St. Jude. We were fundraising in our retail life to raise money for them. And I was invited to Marlo Thomas's and Phil Donahue's apartment as an appreciation for the fundraising efforts that we did for the hospital. And what I loved about that evening was you go in nervous, right? I was very nervous because I was thinking, I I guess it was my first lesson as a host, how important it is to be relaxed. And I really saw that in Marlo. It wasn't like a show or something staged. It wasn't overproduced. It was really an authentic gathering of people and conversation, which, oh, by the way, the food just meandered through. And it was just so casual and natural. And I learned so much from that evening. And what I mean by that is, here you are, Marlo, and she was as calm and kind and welcoming into her home as I could ever feel, I sat next to her brother at dinner, and I never laughed so hard. And you could tell it was about family to them. And I felt family. And I think when you are a host, I think of that night, how do I make people feel like my family? How do I not overproduce an event? How do I make them feel so comfortable and let the food meander, spread it out, like don't have it all together? And I picked up so many things that night, but mostly it was about this authentic feeling of relaxed and calm that I just thought was just so enjoyable. That sounds so lovely. That just sounds like that's a gift that she had. I can understand why you wanted that to come through in any type of party gathering or entertaining that you do. I know that you also do it so well through your design business. Family is important to you. Making sure that the home complements the family, the homeowners, the people who dwell within it is so important to you. And this illustrious, successful, long career that you've had, it's like a a little bit of everything. It's incredible. All of the work that you've done this canvas really that you've painted throughout your whole life along the way, along this journey of life, when did you decide 
to start a design and decor consultant business, which is styled by ARK. When was that born? It was born really from a charity event that I had at my home. And somebody said, who was your designer? And I said, oh, it was me. And she goes, well, you're coming to Chicago and doing my home. And so it probably didn't resonate with me to take a leap and to think I could do it. I did her home and it was baptism by fire. It was five to six rooms and it was down to the studs for some. So I think when I left that experience, somebody else called me and said, okay, I was just at your house. Will you do mine? And then it started to resonate. And I think that's when I said, why not? I want to ask you this too, woman to woman. And we have a lot of women who are listening to your podcast who have a skill, who have a gift, but they may think of it as just like, oh, this is just something that I'm good at. It's a hobby. It's not something that I could have as a business or put a price tag on. When did it really finally sink in for you? Because what you're telling me is someone came to your home, they saw your home, they thought it was beautiful. They said, do this for me. And was there a part of you that thought like, oh my gosh, you're going to pay me to do this? Like, At what point did you realize or did it sink in like you took ownership of the fact that you are also a businesswoman? Lucky for me, I was a businesswoman at the core, but when you take on something new, it can be very scary. So I think what's really important is when your instincts are speaking to you so strongly, you have to allow your mind to listen. And it's so hard to validate a new beginning but you become your own roadblock if you think you can't do it. So for me, when I surrounded myself with all of the partners that I needed, when that brand page was done and the Instagram was launched, it was, here we go. It became very real. And so as the business has grown, are you working more with people who have a completely blank slate or those who have a a home that's already well-loved and have many of their investment pieces, but just want to infuse a new elevated style? I think it's a little bit of both. I mean, there's that new construction, that blank slate that they need advice on. And you're working alongside the architect and the contractor and the client, and you're in that role. So I have a little bit of that. And then there are some that come to me and say, I want to redo two or three rooms. But I would be remiss if I didn't mention, there are also women that come to me to say, I just need to freshen my foyer. And one of the things that I decided, and this is the retailer in me, the client, when they came into a store, if they were buying a wardrobe for a trip, The client that came in and only needed a top for a special occasion, they weren't treated differently. And so for me, I wanted this business that there's no ticket for entry. So if a woman out there is needing to refresh something or select a new carpet for a runner, I want to be that girl. I want to be that person to help them. Because if we think about it, that's most women in America, right? It's those women that they only need to do something small and they just need a friend. And sometimes it's not one of their friends or their mom or their sister. They need an objective point of view. And really, my business built a lot from that approach. It probably started more there than anything. And I still do that. People will come to me and say, oh, I know you're so busy and I know you're doing this, but 
Would you help me with this? And I always say yes, because you know what? That's what I feel most of us need. And why not? I think all of us need a you in their life. I think it can often be, if it's not natural to you, we can look in a magazine or on Instagram and see a a photograph and go, that looks beautiful. I want that. But to be able to come up with it on our own is a bit more challenging. So, I mean, this is kind of painting a little bit of a broad brushstroke, but when it comes to design tips for a home, what might be, if you were just like writing a blog or something right now, what would be some of your top design tips for people who you've worked with that you can see a lot of us maybe struggle with and just need a sort of a little bit of like cliff notes? I think the first thing is pay attention to the size of the room. Scale is so important. And I think one of the things that I see that people struggle with the most is don't buy too big of furniture or too much of furniture for a space. That would be one. Second, pay attention to the light. How does the light look in the morning, in the afternoon, in the evening? I had somebody once put their favorite piece of art directly in light. And those are little things that I would say, pay attention to the mix. I mean, you can have the same color story, but mix your pattern play, mix your textures. Everything doesn't have to be perfect. And then I would say, leave room to grow. Don't have it so tight. Like, allow it to rest and add to the story and give it some space because we change our mind. We want to add things. We see things. And don't overfill a space. Allow there to be a void. And that way you can bring something new into it. Well, I know right now you're building your dream home in Maine, which is so Exciting. It's so exciting. This is a project that people will be able to follow. And it's always, I love seeing the inspiration that you post and that you share on your social media pages. Is this a place where people will be able to follow you and see the progression? Because it's always cool to kind of see something as it's being birthed, because that's what you're doing. You're birthing this home. (laughs) Yeah, it's so exciting. And thank you for saying it's going to be on Instagram. Funny, I wasn't going to, but I have to give credit to my daughter. She's like, Mom, you have to do this. You have to create, I don't know, what do they call the highlight? She's always keeping me in the know for, and I said, sure, I will do it. And I think what I want to do is be able to show people the decision process too, where I maybe could have done things differently. So I also want to show them like, here's where we're going. Here's what I changed. Here's why I changed it. Here are the elements I'm picking out. Because I think the one big thing, everybody, I had a couple followers say, we want to know what you're selecting. So I'm going to start to post the selections that I made. And we all know that those, those happen so early on. But I think as I go through this journey and I bring everybody along with me, It's not just about the pretty end result. I really want to bring them on the journey. I mean, with my old pair of hunters standing in the mud going, okay, I probably, my view, I'm going to have to add a couple trees over here. (laughs) I didn't realize. So I think that's the part, but it's a lovely piece of property in Kennebunkport, Maine. And the outside of the house is inspired off of a vintage barn, but the inside will be very European classic. And so it will be fun to share. 
And the design elements will, that you're weaving into the home, are they coming from all over? Because again, we've talked about your travel. So will they be from all over the world or more local? I definitely believe you should have some a little bit of both. I think the kitchen will have a very British feel. I have an affinity for kitchens that are in the UK. My stove is from France. My fixtures will be from the UK, but my table may be done in Connecticut. And I do believe there is a story to be told in every room. I have bowls from Italy that I probably will have perched someplace beautifully. And I do think it will be a collection of my life. But my prized possession that I'm probably focused on the most is my gallery wall that will be the story of my life and my children and integrated with light fixtures, integrated with picture lights and mirrors and perhaps some sayings. I love Hugo Guinness. He does beautiful sketches that just say darling and cheer. And so I am really kind of masterminding this gallery wall, which will be quite long, but it will be intentional around my life. I know you'll be sharing that and the process of it, so I don't want to give too much away, but let me ask you this for your gallery wall. Is that something that you sketch out ahead of time to map it out in your mind of kind of what's going to go where and what it will look like? Yes. And I plan on involving my children and my friends because I have a fabulous friend with great taste. Her name is Sharon. She's in Chicago. She'll look at it and say, okay, AK, you missed this, this, and this. I don't see this about you on this wall. You know, your friends tell you what you're missing. Good friends do. And so I think I'm going to invite people in. Yes, it will be my plan. Yes, it will be my mastermind. But just like any good book has an editor, there will be editors that will help me with that wall. Well, Before we close today, I know on your podcast with you as the host, you ask a series of five quick questions at the end of every interview. And so I think it would only be right (laughs) that we ask you those five questions. And the good part is you know what they're going to be because you're the one usually asking them. But in this particular case, I'll have the honor of doing that. So if you will... Give us your first thought on each of these. So first, and you've talked a little bit about this, but we'll hyper-focus. Who or what has influenced your style the most? Coco Chanel. What is your favorite classic item that you own in your closet? (laughs) My kids are going to die laughing. A black sweater. (laughs) From Coco Chanel. <laughs> I actually had one. It was a splurge. <laughs> well, you had to have something of hers. I'm sure maybe more than one, but you, what is your favorite piece? This is not one of the rapid fire, but I just have to sidebar that second question. What is your favorite piece of Chanel that you own? I'm assuming that you do since she was your icon. You know, I have to say these quilted boots that I have. They're quintessential. I love them. Yes. Now we know who your favorite mixologist is. Shout out to your husband. (laughs) What is your favorite classic cocktail? Well, I almost said a Cosmo, but he corrected me that that is not classic. So I would say a Gimlet. Love a good Gimlet. Which gin does he like to use in a Gimlet? Yes. 
I have to say I cheat. I have him make mine. He makes his with beef eaters. I, oh God, and I think so, because he might correct me on that because he's very specific on his gins. So I might have to do a correction on that, but he makes mine with vodka and I love Belvedere because I, so, but I make my gimlet with a Belvedere, with Belvedere vodka and delicious. Have you tried Belvedere black? No, I might have to. Oh, it's so smooth. Oh, it's so good. It's hard to find, but it's very, very good. Okay, number four. Oh, what's your most memorable dining experience? Oh my gosh, so hard. I would have to say that evening at Blackberry Farm. That was amazing. Amazing. That was my best dining experience because it was more around how the table was set. The wine was just phenomenal. The food, I think we had eight courses. It was the company at the table because you know what? We didn't know anybody. We didn't know anybody sitting at that table. And truth be told, we stayed out till four o'clock in the morning. And I was almost helping the people in the kitchen clean up. I mean, it was that type of night. So it wasn't necessarily, it's always the whole experience, not just one element. Sounds like that was a life moment kind of evening and meal. It was great because I started collecting match pewter after that. And if you see, probably when we get to that part in Maine, I just have pretty much the whole collection. It's gorgeous. And then finally, this might be a tough one to answer, but what's your favorite destination for travel? Gosh, it's hard. That is a hard one for me to answer. I have so many. I love Nantucket, Aspen, Northern California. I just, London, I could be there for hours. But I can't believe that I'm going to say this, but when I go home and see my family. No, that is the perfect answer. Definitely it. My kids are probably going to say, Mom, you didn't say St. Bart's. And I'm like, no, no, St. Bart's is nice, but that's not my favorite place to be. Is there any place that you haven't been that you're, is on your list, your bucket yeah. list? The Amalfi Coast. Haven't been there yet. I'll meet you there. I'm working on plans as we speak. <laughs> well, you and I could talk for another hour, but <laughs> can we maybe do a part two? Honestly, time it's your turn. Okay. Oh, honestly, you and I, we, we need to have a whole conversation just about cheese boards alone. We'll, we'll do that another time. <laughs> oh my God. Um, well, Anne, thank you so much for spending this time talking with us. I think you're just fascinating and beyond talented. And I'm just excited for all that's to come for you and your business and style by ARK. Can't wait to watch these videos that you're going to be posting in Maine and to listen to more interviews on Classic and Curious. I love the name of your podcast. I love both words. Oh, thank you. Thank you. It's just, it's been so, I couldn't think of anybody else I'd want to do this. So it was the perfect person for the perfect moment. So thank you. You're so welcome. And I'll, I'll see you when you make your way back to Ohio. Okay, great. See you soon. Take care. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Classic and Curious. You can follow Andrea at andreavecchio.com. That's spelled A-N-D-R-E-A-V-E-C-C-H-I-O.com. Her book, Live Your Playlist, is available on Amazon. You can find a summary of this episode, which will include links from today's interview, plus a bonus list of my favorite wines under 50 via our podcast page on styledbyark.com. 
As always, we would love for you to hit the subscribe button and feel free to share your feedback and requests. Looking forward to our next time together. Ta-ta for now.